The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Jason DePlater sent me something the other day. You know Jason. <laughs> uh, um, you know this uh, rethink, reskill, reboot thing from the British government? Yes. Okay. He sent me this one. Uh, William Shakespeare. William Shakespeare's next job could be an Amazon warehouse. <laughs> Because, <laughs> of course, you put names in and work out what they're going to be, etc., and um, skills and stuff like that. Yeah. There we go. William, you you, you could be working there. What Am- did you get? Nothing, nothing wrong with working in the Amazon warehouse, by the way. There are plenty of people that do. No, absolutely. But I'm, I'm, you know, we might have I'm missed one, one, of one of the world's greatest writers and Bairds if, uh, if he'd have worked in a warehouse instead of writing. When I did that thing, it said you should be um, in a judge. Yes, judge. or my second choice. Didn't you get beautician? Was beautician? I know. Yeah, I get you. You could do the eyebrows. I could. I'd be all over the eyebrows easily. Yeah, <laughs> I can't remember what my worked out to be. I think one of them. Oh yeah, one of them was travel and tourism. Yeah, wasn't the, uh, the, the other one an ambulance driver or something? Uh, no, it was uniform, wasn't it? Anything in uniform. Mm. Um, back to uh, back to Anne Summers. <laughs> Stop it. But uh, no, the I, I, yeah, I fancy giving me a, a travel and tourism job. One of the industries that, that's, you know, in the last six months, seven months, just become decimated, and the government is suggesting I go work in it. Here's from one, one, one viable into another. Yeah, here's one from viable, and another one. Yeah, but did you see this as well? The HM Government Careers Advisory Service. Okay, you had to match up. Okay, there's three columns. You match up your first name with the with the first column, middle name with the second. And, and the the third... That's not a real thing, oh, is it? Makes just as much sense. What this, was yours then? This one's funnier. Well, if, you know, my real name, yeah. having the stage name and the real name now, which is no longer a secret... Blackburn. Um, <laughs> the real name, Forklift Foraging Executive. So give me your... So we get K, K, KM, obviously. What's your middle name again? David. David, isn't it? KDM. So you should be a mercenary decorating... Mercenary decorating mangler. <laughs> An That's MDM. A, it's a niche job. Mercenary decorated That's a niche mangler. job. Nice. Like the My stage name, I, I, I should be a hedgerow assistant. Sam's, actually, was burger welding executive. Oh. Now that is I a, think that suits her. That's a What's very... What's Gemma? Do Gemma. Gemma. Oh, what's G-M-M? Um, what's her middle name? She doesn't have one. Doesn't she? I, well, just, just put B for beautiful. <laughs> okay, brownie points. She would be... Um, she would be a... Okay, so, so she's a gamekeeper mangler. Or if you put B in there, she's a gamekeeper painting mangler. Hmm. Oh, she's a very good artist. Well, there we go. She's yeah. sorted. The Fuji cast. Huh? Makes as much sense as the official one. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, are you viable, Kev, this week? Are you feeling viable? No, I'm, I, podcast Kev is left at home. <laughs> oh, I'm in a ump. Yeah. Welcome to the non-viables. That's what we is. You and your question. If you're wondering when America thinking, what was he talking about viables? It was because our chancellor, um, well, it'll be about a month ago now, uh, got up in uh, in Parliament um, and described viable industries, of which we are not one. Mm. There we go. That, I do think there was a lot of misquotes and taken out of context. You've got to be it very careful fairness. when you use the word viable yeah. when you're describing occupations. Yeah, absolutely. I think. May, do you think have I misquoted him slightly? No, no, no. I think I think by taking him out of context. I think the point was, I, I think his general point was: look, basically, we some can, of you yeah. are screwed, some yeah. of you aren't. Yeah. Why don't the ones that are screwed think about retraining? And and I think he he was just a bit clumsy with his wording. Yeah. You know, I'm not a massive fan of Rishi Shunak, I must say, <laughs> but uh, you know, I do think he he got a bit hung out to dry over that. To be Did honest he? with you, oh, yeah. Right. Oh, uh, there uh, you go. Let me make an apology. Um, here's my apology. 
from the bouquet chicken. There we go. <laughs> that says it all. Yeah. Welcome to the Fuji Cast for another week. Uh, if you'd like to send your questions in, you can do so. We uh, we get to your questions, and they're, they're not all tech, are they? Sometimes they're they're sometimes they're, they're completely untech. Um, so click at fujicast.co.uk, or you can leave one in the uh, the Fujicast group and the Facebook group that we have. Um, Kev's book of the week this week. What do we have this week? What's your book uh, this week we book have the, week week? Uh, the British by uh, Nick Danziger. Wow. Uh, and I think we haven't talked about this one before. Haven't we? Have we have? No, I don't, I think, don't we think we have. No, no, no. No, I'm kind of getting to that point now where in the mornings when I come to the podcast, I, I think, oh, a book. We've done that one. And, then I'm, and I don't have time to look at the website, and, and so I should really write a list. No, no, it's, uh, I, I don't think we've done that one. doesn't matter You're if right. we do things twice. Jamie Stoker is on the show as well. Oh, now, we Jamie. should have talked to, you know, Jamie Stoker is a portrait and fashion photographer and a blooming good one as and well. And a massive, yeah. massive gooner. He is, yeah. He's, yes. In fact, I talked to him about his project. I think we touched on the Arsenal project mm-hmm. that he he'd been doing, mm-hmm. um, which of course has changed somewhat. <laughs> you can't go into stadiums, no. and but he still says actually people turn up at uh, the stadium, not necessarily get into the stadium on a game day because they can't do it, of course. But yeah. they're using it as a place to uh, to exercise, and because there's a far space around the Emirates Stadium, yeah, in North London. Well, did you see the footage of when um, uh, Wales and England played football the other week? And we don't need to talk about the match, but uh, there was no fans there. What was the score? There was no fans there, and what was the score? Uh, there was no fans there, and <laughs> what was the score, Chicken? <laughs> it was, wasn't it? There was You're no fans quite there. Right. It was uh, a- <laughs> <laughs> there was no fans there, but outside outside Wembley Stadium is a massive Weatherspoons. Oh right! And there was uh, were they all in there? There's hundreds of thousands of people in there <laughs> in one like Weatherspoons. Thousands of them were there, uh, all spilling out into the streets yeah. and in the Weatherspoons. And, yeah. and of course, even though most pubs are being, socially distanced, obviously most pubs are being told to close now in these mm, new new lockdown levels. Yeah. But Weatherspoons doesn't have to because it serves food. Ah. You see, now the the danger of this is that we we record this, and then a couple of days later, everything changes. Yeah, who knows? Ah, oh, I don't care anymore. <laughs> anyway, Jamie Stoker uh, talked about the F one lens as well, which we should have done month and a bit ago. I really, really wish they'd put a picture of a racing car on the side of that lens. Really? Why? F one. Hello. Why yeah. not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of humour. <laughs> oh, we need humour in the world. Kev, we Vroom. do. Have you had a chance to use that 50mm F1? No. No. Okay. <laughs> well, that closed that one down. Let's start with the show of the questions. Moving on quick. Kev's a bit grumpy about that. No, no, no. I will rent it at some point. Mm. Yeah, it's it's on the... You'll rent, rent it? I can rent then, yeah. We can all rent them from Give Kev an F1 to use, for heaven's sake. He doesn't have yeah. to rent one. I do. Mullins is like Fujifilm royalty. <laughs> Shut up. Should not be renting it. Shut up. <laughs> You'll get me sacked. <laughs> go on, you go for a question. All right, I've got one from Mash. Who? Mark Ashworth. All oh, right. Um, Mash. Yeah. Uh, he says. I uh, like that show. Mash. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for the great podcast and awesome content. Yada, 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 yada. There's a lot of yada, yadas in this one. Uh, <laughs> this is my first question, although I have listened to the show from the beginning. Right. It's a technical one, so maybe best aimed at. Kev. <laughs> yes, that's what he says. Um, however, he then I won't immediately starts talking about his Macintosh. So Does he? I run Lightroom on my Mac, a three terabyte Fusion drive, and soon to upgrade to a solid state machine in the near future. 
Currently, I store all my jobs on an external SATA drive, or SATA, depends on how you pronounce it, uh, connected via a USB docking station. These drives are typically 5,400 revs per minute standard hard drives. I download my RAWs to this and then import to Lightroom to process them, etc. Would it be better to use a 7,200 revs per minute drive instead? And would this make a speed difference even though I am connecting via USB? <laughs> when I upgrade to a Mac with an internal SSD, would you use this to work on the files and then right. back up the slower standard HD once the files have been edited? Thanks again. Look forward to your thoughts. Mark Ashworth, mm. MASH. Yeah. Um, I don't use a Mac, so you better answer. Well, I'll, I'll refer it to the right honourable <laughs> gentleman. What, what do you think out there? Oh, I know, it's exactly what I was going to say, funnily enough. That, uh, that's what I would do. Okay, Without right. A shadow so, of a doubt. In all seriousness, the Mac <laughs> is irrelevant, whether it's Mac or Windows, the, the principles are the same. So, yes, typically a 7200 RPM drive will be faster, even over USB. But what I've noticed is I, I typically use what they call it RAID drives now. So I've got two... I've got a 28 terabyte RAID drive, which is two, um, what's 28 divided by two? 14, yeah. Two 14 drive, yeah. 14 terabyte drives. Yeah, yeah, with you. But because they're in RAID, yeah. um, and because you need two in there, and it's still on USB 3 over that connection, it's those are 5,400 RPM drives. So right. actually writing to them is quite slow. So 7,200 RPM would be quicker for sure. Um, I'm not sure what the fusion drive element is. Do you have that on your Mac? Does that make sense to you? Mm, I'm solid state. Yeah, well, that's that was the point I was going to make. Solid state mm. is the best. So I suppose th the best way I can answer this is to explain what I do. So I have, in my PC at home, I have three SSDs, um, one one terabyte and two two terabytes. And then I have four um, spindle drives, like standard uh, SATA drives, uh, each of which are six terabytes do you use those just for storage you wouldn't use those to actually edit with or no so i use the ssds to edit to edit so yes. one of those two terabyte drives I, I call it my working drive so anything i'm editing films uh, uh weddings um whatever then they get edited on there then they get moved to one of the um the internal st standard drives and that's when they automatically get sucked over to right. the um, uh, to the RAID drive. So that's typically how I do it. And that is very, very quick. So, yes, ultimately, the faster the drive, the quicker it will be. Um, but I would, yeah, as he says, he's going to get an SSD in the future. So mm. SSD is the way I would go forward. The problem mm. with SSDs, of course, is for bang for your buck, you're going to get a lot less space. Mm. Um, they're quite pricey. They are, but they're much better, much, much better. Yeah. Although yeah. some people say they don't have quite as long a lifespan. Is that right? Mm. Oh, my God. Yeah. Don't say that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there you go. I, th I, I don't know if, we, if I've waffled enough over that answer, Mark, to, mm. to make it more confusing for you or not. But, yes, ultimately, <laughs> faster is better and SSD is better still. Yeah. One from James Sauls, um, who says, Hello, hope you and your families are well. Are they well, Kev? Yeah, my mum's a bit down. She mm. had a tooth taken out. She's locked down in Wales, just living with my dad, you know. <laughs> sorry mum i'm glad i asked um i have a question for you two photography sages i've just had my first 2021 postponement request due to uh covid19 the wedding's in august well august and they're cancelling or postponing oh and they and they feel they'll uh, not be allowed their 200 guests and that if a second wave hits they don't want to rush reorganizing the wedding so they want to move it well third wave in that case august 20 well it would be wouldn't it 2022 it could be, could be fourth. fourth or fifth by then who yeah. knows who knows 
Um, it is it is what it is, as as Kev likes to say. It is what it is. It is, um, it is what, what it is. is. Right, thank you, lads. Now, I've already turned down other weddings for their date in 2021, and my prices have gone up slightly since they booked back in 2019. What would you do? I've allowed all 2020 bookings to move at no cost and no price change to 2021, as that's the right thing to do. COVID is nobody's fault, but is that the right thing to do in this case? So what was the question? What was the, well, the, I think the crux? Yeah, I think... Does I he, think he wants to charge them to cancel. No, I think he's wondering whether, because his prices have changed, whether really he should oh. be charging the new price, right. he, which I suppose, yeah, that's an advance in, in, in payment, isn't it? Uh, yeah, my, I would oh, say no. No, I think that uh, would be a PR yeah. thing here. I, I think that mm. you, you need to honour the contract you had with them originally in terms of prices. Mm. Uh, I mean, probably technically, there's contractually, you, you know, you, you can probably do it, but I would, would strongly advise against yeah, it. Yeah, I think just a PR thing, don't let the word get round that you've started hiking yeah. your prices. Yeah. Because yeah. brides talk in forums. Yes. You should know this. Yes. Not not you should know this as in as something you should know, um, as in you didn't before, but know this for the future. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to offend, James. Uh, no. Uh, right, yours. Um, oh, this is from James Souls as well. Oh, my word. What's the, the James Souls show? The James Souls show. Um, it's a soul show. That does sound quite cool, doesn't it? It does, the James Souls show. Yeah. Hi, gents. Thank you for your continued epic podcast. It has been constant source. Yada, 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 yada. Uh, you had enough airtime, James. I'm going to rush this. <laughs> Neil, would you please be able to talk to me through your standard wedding videography setup? All right. Camera, lens choice, microphones, gimbal, and or not a gimbal, accessories plus what you why you mm. use them. I'm finally starting to plan out my education in videography and want to map out the direction to take my kit. Over the next 12 months, I want to build a multiple skill set so when the next pandemic, asteroid strike, or some other roadblock comes along, I can pivot. <laughs> there we go, strike. pivot. Pivot. Quite Fairly uh, quicker. Word. Um, yeah. cool. James, I tell you, wasn't it James that wrote to us about a year ago to say he's just starting out doing wedding photography? I know, look, he's doing, he's, <laughs> he, he's, he's put his prices up in a year. Put his prices up, he's had a PR disaster, and now he's filming weddings. Yeah, good for you, James. <laughs> yeah. It's all happening. Um, okay, well, I don't think the kit that I use is not that different to, uh, to, to the kit that I have in the, in the in the bag for the photographer it's the same kit what am i talking about xt3s mm. and uh an x uh, xh1 xh1 is obviously a great camera because you've got image stabilization in that but you could be arguing now that you should just XT4. go for the xt4 and away you go if you were buying a camera today would you XT4. go xh1 or xt4, XT4. XT4. yeah right. XT4. i like i like that although i do like the i have to say i like the grip on the X, xh1 that's mm. always you know i like that yeah um so that's what i would do um i tend to use the um what do i use 23 23mm uh, and the 56mm tend to be bolted on there all the time. 1024 is, is now you've got the new F4 as well, to, mm. the new weather seal one to play around with. I could probably do that that wedding in, in just that. 1024, 23 and 56. And Gimbal. I'd be very happy. I didn't use one in Switzerland, did I? No. When we were working together. No. Well, well I, I mean, I most of the time um, you're just leaning against the wall, yeah. looking at your phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is what Kev thinks that wedding videographers do, by the way. They just look at their phone all day. It's just not true. Um, we are a bit more economic with what we film, because otherwise you're, you end up with so... I don't, it's actually a good point is that while Kev is going click, 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 and telling us that he, he doesn't do that, <laughs> that he takes his time and only shoots what he wants to, click, yeah. click, 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 and he click, 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 click. I thought, right, let's get that. Let's, let's just a nice sort of 10 seconds piece here, job done, move on to the next scene. Mm, it does seem quite you, cathartic. You, you cannot, you, um, I cannot over, you know, emphasize the point that you just don't want to collect 
everything. You will not have space for it or time to edit it. That's really, really important. And what about what was the other thing you asked about? Gimbal-wise, by the way, yeah, I think a gimbal is a good idea. I didn't take it to Switzerland because we were a bit limited on stuff we could take. Mm. And I used a monopod. And I know that Phil White just uses a monopod, doesn't he? And he, he makes gorgeous, beautiful films. Yeah, so gimbal-wise, I use um, the Kame TV one, a really old one, actually. Uh, but there are plenty. And I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that the new DJI one, uh, I think, is a very good one. Because it has the forks uh, go to the side instead of being uh, uh, right. behind yeah. the screen, which is, uh, which is a pain when you're using a gimbal. And microphones? So, uh, yeah, use the um, Rode Micro is the one that I would use for just getting um, noise. The ambience, yeah, thank you. Ambience, Rodney. And then, of course, mic people up separately so you can use what you like for that. There's so much out there, Tascam units. Well, these things here, like I've got a couple here, little Sony, little 650s, Sony um, 650s. They're, they're great. And then you are set. And then get ready to edit because it takes a long time. They were available. Those Sony things were available on the Amazon Prime Day last week. Were they? How much for? Uh, I don't know. I remember seeing something like 28% discount. I, I, what? I didn't need one, so... God, I, I wish I'd know. The TX650s. There was, I got a load of stuff on Amazon Prime Day. Did you? Well, stuff for other people, but yeah, I got quite a few bits and pieces. Did you do Christmas shopping, did you? I got a um, got an Echo Dot for Gemma. Did you? Yeah, that ah. was... That was uh, 18 quid right I got don't a, say this this is supposed to be stuff she doesn't know is coming at Christmas time oh no no time. giving it to them I, I got a I got a new weighing scales for <laughs> Rosa for the kitchen right the kitchen weighing scales alright um, because she had a really nice kitchen weighing scales before but Albie decided to weigh himself on them <laughs> Good well done, Albie. So they went. He's a class so actor. I got a your boy. New, I got a new kitchenware skills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got um, I got a fire, a Kindle Fire TV 4K thing that you stick in the back side mm. of something because we've that? got a projector. Ah. And whenever we're using the projector, we always have to stick my phone or my laptop or something into it to get right. Amazon or Netflix onto the projector. Yeah. So now we can stick the Kindle Fire 4K thing in. That was half price. Yeah. Um, and being broke's never been so good for you. I know. Well, I was. I. 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 I realised we started a little bit left in Patreon after all of that. So I then went and bought. <laughs> this is why I don't get my share. <laughs> What's going on? Uh, yeah, that was it. And uh, yeah, so everybody got a little gift. Did you get a gift, bouquet chicken? <laughs> Did you? He bought you a car. <laughs> good heavens. Uh, right. Your oh. question. I think. Um, yeah, this one is from Alex Kingsley. X one hundred V question. Is it possible to turn off the touchscreen and just use the manual controls and menus? I'm currently an X100F user. This is for future reference because I'm going for an X100V. Yeah. Can, can you do that? I've not got an X100V, so I don't Yeah, know. go into the screen setting and just there's a touchscreen option, just set it to off. And that was answered very quickly. And there was one here from Indy Lehman. What's the best way to, um, to clean a, a colour photographic negative prior to scanning it? There are a lot of conflicting opinions on how to... Why are you laughing how to do this? Using liquid dish... No, don't use liquid dish soap, heaven's sake, even if it is in distilled water, to using a isopropo, uh, iso... I can never say this word, the alcohol thing. Isopropanol. I can never say the word. And the end of a Q-tip, cotton swab. Don't use a cotton swab either. Uh, from wiping with an anti-static photographic emulsion cleaner and anti-static glass to just using a rocket blower. So we have to use the isopropyl and make sure it's 98%. That's my advice. But that's not for cleaning a sensor. That's for cleaning. That's for pre-washing film. There's film. Yeah. Oh, no, not a sensor, for no. heaven's sake. 
I was going to say, I have no idea. No, he like, was talking never, about film. Yes. He was talking about film. Yeah, so what would you do? Don't what, put what did you use to do? Your sensor. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that, that's. Um, well, you want to use. Um, it's got to be 98%. And here's the reason why. And I, I had to write my thoughts down because I'd forgotten a bit since using it because it won't leave any spots and little gunky stains. Now, if you just use water, even if it's distilled, it's going to leave stains. So that's right. no good on your negatives. So you, you need something that's got good alcohol extract so sort of the power russian in siberia would uh, would probably drink for breakfast on his cornflakes <laughs> then you don't drink that stuff by the way because it will rot your gut yeah very yeah very quickly add that in that's a joke do not drink this stuff it's for photographic purposes only and you must use um yeah get get yourself some lint free buds um and i used to get mine funny enough from um a supplier for radio equipment from uh, rs components because you use that for when you you clean your broadcast desks and stuff Ooh. there we go job done there you go job well, I done i wouldn't have had a flying flu idea your that. your question uh my question right i've got a question from uh kyle bowling or bowling uh from denver colorado i mark- went to denver i love denver Is he mark's brother mark bowling no bowling oh, not bowling <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I loved it. I went skiing there lots of times. Hi, guys. Love the show. Uh, Kevin, I'm enjoying your seven JPEG presets in your recent YouTube oh, video. Yes. I even used XRO Studio to load them into my XT4. Ooh, go you. You're By pro- the way. Properly listening to Kev on that one there. XT, uh, sorry, XRO Studio has just had a firmware update. Uh, sorry, a software update. I just mm-hmm. read about that mm-hmm. um, to allow it to use the S10 camera um, and a few other bug fixes. There you go. So, two questions. When using these custom settings, why does my camera seem to take longer to write them to the memory card? Is that just something I need to get used to, or can I get around that? What is it about the settings that slows them down? Okay, so first thing, this was a video that I created with my seven custom JPEG settings right. for 2020. So, yep. these aren't presets that you buy or anything like that. These are things you just dial into your camera. Um, and as as the previous version, I had things like Meowitz, Par, Padilla. Um, oh yeah, you called them names. Yeah, it's good. Uh, good. Yeah, yeah, I love them. I love, I absolutely love them. Mm. But one of the issues with the the latter generation of Fujifilm cameras is that the clarity option does slow everything right down. So right. as soon as you set clarity to anything other than zero in the camera, <laughs> yeah, it takes ages. Um, now I've no idea whether this is something that Fujifilm can fix in firmware. I really hope so. Um, if you have your camera in CH or CL mode, right, right. It, it doesn't write the um, clarity setting. It just switches it off. So that's why... Oh, so it overrides you. Yeah, yeah, for the clarity stuff. So that's why it's going slow, um, the clarity. You can just switch the clarity off if it's too slow. Um, I, quite, I kind of like it. It's quite cathartic. Uh, second option, how do I shoot without any of those seven custom settings selected? Can I turn them off if I just want to grab my camera and fire off a shoot a few shots? of the kids without being in one of these settings. Now, that's a really good question as well. So actually, typically what I do, believe it or not, is I have six custom settings. And my seventh one, I just call it blank. And I have everything set to neutral. So I have it set oh, to okay. um, Provia and zero clarity and zero everything. That's the way I do it. You can also just dial something into your Q menu. Um, I don't use the Q menu, so it's it's easier for me to do that way. So yeah, there's various other ways of doing it, but otherwise you you know you you will have to kind of reset if you like. Um, so just set one up. Use choose your favorite six, and then set another one up which is blank called right. reset or something. Yeah. There you go, Carl. I think your phone's ringing. Somebody wants you. Who's on the phone? Hi, babe. Did you ring me? Yeah, I rang you to tell you that I was just about to go into podcast recording. Tell her she's now on. You're live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
little sidekick in the back. I'm telling she's now on. Mm. <laughs> um, a little sidekick. Did did you want did you want anything particular or were you just trying to ruin our lives? <laughs> oh Kev! Oh, oh. Rude. All right, Adrian. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. See you later. Bye. Love you. <laughs> love you. Bye. Who's Adrian? I don't know, but Adrian is the signature we always have on the boiler. Right. When the boiler man comes around, that boiler breaks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kev. Oh, dear. Uh, People still love you, though. <laughs> Do you remember, I, I, you are Ziza's favourite um, wedding photographer. You're my favourite wedding photographer. You oh, should uh, go my wedding. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. I tell you, if Ziza ever gets married, I'm going to photograph her wedding totally yeah. for free because yeah. she is my... <laughs> you're not allowed you say heroine anymore hero she's a hero, hero. she's no. my hero right one more before we have the interview uh tim helps good day kev good day neil guess where uh, <laughs> tim helps comes from oh let me guess <laughs> have you ever been to adelaide no no actually nor have i um how are you me old cobbers yada 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 blah de blah de blah question do you think that the next x100 camera could be improved well, hang on we've only just had one uh, could be improved if it were about 10 percent smaller in all directions Hmm. I've owned and used the original X100 and the X100T, but coming from the GR series, very small, easy to handle. But I think the X100s, as they go on, would be a bit more carryable uh, and ergonomically great to use with a bit of fat shaved off. 10% should do it. Any chance? <laughs> oh, well, we shall consider. Isn't that what they say? Well, that's uh, really... It's pretty small anyway, isn't it? It is. And I, you can't get that much smaller. Can't get much smaller. And in fact, the X100V was a, is a tiny, tiny bit bigger than the X100F because mm. of the new lens. Yes. And new elements in the lens and stuff. And, yeah, I don't... I really... Because obviously you've got the sensor, right? So the sensor... The X70 was the smallest and XF10 were the smallest little cameras they made. Mm. But then the, the X100, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine it ever getting smaller. What I would really love them to do with the next X, what well, come after V? X100, V is 5. X100, IV. No, VI. No, VI. Yeah. Um, or, uh, yeah, because I can't do S again either. Anyway, uh, well, uh, what I would really like <laughs> would would be dual card slots. Ah. That's what I'd But like. that would make the camera bigger again. Well, that's the thing. If they could manage to... Actually, I'm not sure it would, to be totally honest with you. Here's, here's something radical. Put one each end. Yeah put one each end or yeah or whatever but mm. i suspect it will get bigger as we go forward yeah. because the new ma- batteries that the xt4 use are bigger oh, do you think that'll come into that as well yeah then? they they won't they won't stick with two separate oh, but then, battery then, lines. do you get to a point where you might as well just get an x pro well well this is it i mean i i, I if they can keep it the same i, I really don't think it will get any smaller i have mm. to say but if mm. they keep the same size and squeeze a second memory card in um, or they may even go down the route of potentially doing internal memory plus a memory card. It has to be one memory card. Yeah. But maybe if there's oh, like please, a... we're not going, going down this internal memory thing, are we? No, that it won't be internal only. Frightens me livid. It, it, it won't, will not be internal yeah. It just cannot be. I, yeah. I definitely wouldn't buy it. Stamp your foot if they suggest that <laughs> yeah. again. Um, but, but internal plus memory card yeah. could be an option. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's true. Anyway. That's quite a good idea, actually. Yeah, I like that idea. Tim? We'll suggest that. And 5G connecting. Yeah. Automatically, you shoot, you edit. Yeah. You, by the time you've put the camera by your pocket, it's it's done, edited, delivered to the clients. Send it out. It does the, job, does the job for you. You yeah. stay at home, play with Albie. Yeah. On the flight sim. Yes, yes. Flight sim. Shall we check in with our guest, fashion and portrait photographer Jamie Stoker? Is that man across the next two weeks? He's a Fujifilm ex-photographer. He's a real early adopter of the system too, just like our Kev here. Thrown in, as he'll explain, to the brand entirely when he swapped all his DSLR kit one day for an X-Pro1 and one lens. And then the next day, 
received a phone call from one of the biggest brands in the world to invite him to go shoot a major campaign. You learn pretty quick when that sort of thing happens, it seems. Also, we talked today about personal projects and their importance to him after years of shooting nothing but commissioned work only. Jamie Stoker. Jamie, you're a portrait and fashion photographer. Is one favoured over the other, uh, or is equal time spent in each sphere, Not, notwithstanding the fact we're in pandemic? Yeah, uh, well, that, that's a good question, and it's something that's been a kind of long-term struggle for me. Uh, obviously, when you're a freelance photographer, you sort of have this idea that as the years go by, you'll become more specialised and more known for your area of expertise. And I would say nowadays, it's probably more on the portrait side of things. Yeah. But that has been a long-term struggle. I, I think my work, it, it, because I, sh- I take a lot of portraits within the fashion industry, it sometimes has a crossover that's hard to pin down. Now, I know you like the documentary side. Perhaps that's why you're doing more portrait work, because um, because sometimes, of course, it can be very contrived working within fashion. There's, there's a lot of studio work and that, that kind of work. Is that, is that what draws you more into portraiture? Because you can, you're a documentary portrait photographer in many respects, aren't you? Yeah, I, I would say, in a way, I, I've gone full circle. Um, I got into photography when I was 18 in a very low-key, one-camera, natural light kind of documentary style and then over the years of starting to work commercially moved more into you know bigger cameras bigger sets and then I sort of it was at that point that I realized that actually for for me the thing that I enjoy most about photography is just being on a shoot with my subject and just it being me and my camera and kind of being challenged with taking interesting images of of my subject and the side of fashion work where you're working with a big team it's something I, I dabbled in, but I think I realized it wasn't quite for me. Mm. Um, it was interesting to hear you talk with Wayne on one of the previous episodes about that whole thing that when you're shooting within fashion, you really do have to assemble that team, stylists, makeup, etc. And although it was great to work with a creative team, I always found that slightly restrictive because I just wanted to kind of be out there with my camera on my own. Although I'm a bit confused because I saw a film about you which said you work only on commissions now and you haven't shot a personal project since you were a student. Although I did also read that on the personal side of things, you like to photograph stories about people who are drawn to physical spaces by particular niche interests, such as the fascinating Loch Ness story. So is that commissioned work or, or have you started shooting personal again? Uh, as of about a year ago, I hadn't really shot anything personal since my student days, which was when I did uh, this project on, on Loch Ness and, and the kind of people and places that you find up there. And it's something that's always been nagging in the back of my head. But you know, living in London, obviously, with rent to pay and whatnot, it was always kind of my focus to just be making a living mm. through photography. And and as I'm, I'm sure it's been a topic that's popped up with COVID and not working as much as usual, uh, it's kind of given me a bigger impetus than than ever to, to get back into that personal side of things. Tell me what, what, um, what drew you to the Loch Ness story then, because it is a fascinating <laughs> story. I mean, I remember going to Loch Ness as a child with my dad and standing there at the banks thinking... Come on, Dad, when's she coming up? <laughs> yeah, so so when I was, uh, after my my early couple of years first getting into photography and kind of being self-taught, when I decided to take it seriously, I went to study it in Brighton. And the course in Brighton is run by Mark Power, who's a magnum photographer. Yes, yeah. And and at the time, and, and still today, you know, I'm, I'm a huge magnum 
fan as i'm sure a lot of photographers are yeah yeah and the, the, the shipping forecast i think is, yeah, is, is yeah, on, on yeah. many students uh <laughs> projects. Exactly. yeah then and, and still today um alex soth was a huge like inspiration so when it came to our final year and we had to basically commit to a major project to do for most of the year when i was a kid i wanted as a, you know, like obviously people have a thing where when I'm older, I want to be a footballer or an astronaut. Um, my strange kind of childhood fascination was with cryptozoology. So studying, uh, you know, animals that haven't been scientifically proven to exist, like, wow. like Loch Ness Monster yeah. and Bigfoot and whatnot. <laughs> and so I thought it would just be an interesting focus for a project and, and kind of in that style of, you know, road trip exploration photography to go up there. Um, I spent a few months kind of researching it and finding out who the, the key players were and the key places. And and then I went up there with a friend of mine who was a documentary filmmaker. And we just spent a couple of weeks in the off season. So once all the tourists had left, I think it was sort of October, November time, just basically exploring, talking to people, doing interviews. Um, I shot it all on a Mamiya 7. And it was just a, an, probably to this day, one of my favorite photographic yeah. experiences. And uh it's a project which I'm actually now going to sort of, with all the, the time on my hands in lockdown, try and get back up on my website and get out there. Because for a while I toured it and it had some exhibitions and I made a zine, but then oh. over the years it, it kind of fell by the wayside. And um, and there's another one as well. But you should never judge a book by its cover. And I did a, <laughs> I did a dreadful thing in, in doing so when I read about you being interested in heavy metal and I thought, no, that can't be the same Jamie Stoker, surely. <laughs> Um, but but you've been attending this heavy metal festival in the Czech Republic for a few years, which is an 18th century military fortress. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I, how on earth did that one appear on your radar? So for my sins, I am a secret heavy metal fan and, and my friends and I go each year to various festivals around Europe. Uh, and we got wind of this um, fairly niche festival in the Czech Republic called Brutal Assault. And what's particularly amazing about it in obviously in addition to the music and the bands is that it takes place in this fort which is one of those um kind of napoleonic era star forts if, <laughs> if you can picture the ones mm. and it's just really fascinating because for instance in the off season when the festival isn't happening the organizers and the czech heavy metal fans actually help the local authority to maintain the fort and rebuild some of the broken battlements and stuff and then for for a couple of days in august each year they have this festival where the bands are playing and you sit up on the hillside on the on the fortress um and obviously you, you meet a lot of characters there but for me i just had this one year of realizing that it was no different to loch ness in the sense that you had this geographical location where where people would come from all over kind of sharing that same slightly bizarre interest and you start to see same as when i was in loch ness you started to see kind of like reoccurring visual cues and and the way people dress and the sort of like little bits and bobs you find scattered around the outskirts um and so for for a number of years i started to document that and and was hoping to carry on again this year but obviously with covid it, it was um postponed next year hopefully uh, yeah. we'll, we'll come to fujifilm in a moment and your your work with fujifilm but um the x pro 3 when that came out last year uh, various photographers were given a, an opportunity to uh, to use the the camera and uh, uh put, put it through uh, its test um and you you were one of those you had an x pro 3 um I, were fujifilm surprised that you said i do you know what i'd like to do i'd like to take it to an arsenal football match i don't think so because i think that they're main drive behind that camera was for it to be more than any other a kind of photographic tool that 
that you know forces you to slow down slightly and focus really on your images and and i think when they had that in mind they weren't expecting it to be a camera that many people would would rush out to replace their xt3s for example with it was very much aimed at personal work and whatnot so that was a project i had started shooting already last year and again with that aim of trying to get back to shooting personal work and when they asked me if i would be up for testing the camera it was sort of a no-brainer to try it out on that and actually ended up being kind of the ideal choice because of the fact that it looks a lot like you're using a film camera and uh, i'm sure many street photographers agree that it's nice to kind of be able to shoot slightly incognito without someone necessarily asking to see the back of the yeah. camera yeah. etc absolutely so this journey with fujifilm when, when when did it start because straight out the traps it's not a a regular manner to be found in for those who shoot fashion. Um, but but Fujifilm, did you go to them or did they come to you? So my background with Fujifilm is in 2012, I had been graduated for a year and I was sort of struggling to pick up bits and bobs working, trying to work as a portrait photographer. That's when the X-Pro1 came out. So I, I, I bought that the, the week it came out because, as I said, my background uh, when I first learned photography was in film rangefinders, uh, things like I had a Voigtlander Besser and later on saved up for a secondhand Leica. So I always liked shooting on those kind of small rangefinder cameras and the X-Pro1 just straight away caught my eye. So I, I started using that as soon as it came out. And then I think it was two years later in 2014, by this stage, I was starting to work a bit more as a sort of semi-portrait, semi-fashion photographer. And I did a campaign for a luxury outdoor coat brand up in scotland that was kind of linked to macintosh and their head of pr previously had worked i believe at globetrotter bags so he had designed a bag which came out i believe as a limited edition set with the x100 when it first came out oh, there was a right. globetrotter yes. Yes, yes sort of like case for it yes there was and so he had the fujifilm contacts and and he loved all the work i did on this fashion campaign and put me in touch with them and said, you know, Jamie's this young fashion photographer and he uses your cameras and did a good job and I think you should check him out. So that was my initial uh, connection with them. And then for the next couple of years, I sort of loosely did a few bits and bobs. Um, but I think that the team was changing and the ambassador program was changing. And I kind of fell slightly through the gaps until I think 2018 when they got back in touch. And that was when there was a much more official ambassador program where we had kind of clear guidelines. And, and so they invited me to rejoin. And actually, yeah, that's one of the things that when I talk and when I interact with people is nice because I can kind of say from the get-go, I was a Fujifilm adopter from when the X-Pro1 yeah. first came out. And then I used it ever since, but including years when I wasn't wasn't anymore an ambassador you know i think people always have that uh worry about are we just sort of paid to sell the cameras and say they're great and obviously that's not the case no. but we're very much and i feel quite strongly about this I, I love the cameras first and foremost i i would use them if i had no link to the company because i think they're great tools so you'd been using um, you'd been using these um right from the get-go in fashion then which which i would imagine would would have been unusual to your peers that, at yep. that stage <laughs> what what did they used to say well, it was funny, actually, when when the X-Pro1 first came out, I remember I went down to Tottenham Court Road and sold uh, my 5D Mark II and the various prime lenses I had. And, and that got me the X-Pro1 and the 35 1.4. And that was it. That was the only digital camera I owned. And a week later, I got booked for um, quite, well, at that stage, it was kind of my one of my early 
breakout moments, I guess you could call it. Um, I got booked for a Nike job, which was taking place during that summer uh, when the Olympics were happening and they were hiring, I think it was like four or five of, of London's young up and coming photographers to shoot hundreds of portraits for this book they were putting together, kind yeah. of celebrating young creative Londoners, athletes, musicians, artists, etc. Um, and so over the course of a couple of days, I had to shoot the hundreds of portraits using this X-Pro1 um, single lens. Yeah. And straight away, I, although it was a slower way of working, obviously the X-Pro1 was quite famously slow when it first came out. That kind of worked for me because it forced me to slow down and it was a conversation starter. And I noticed really clearly, I remember noticing that it wasn't a case of having this big, loud SLR that was blocking my face. And, you know, shooting people in a kind of slightly distracting way, it really enabled me to just work quieter and, and the camera felt less of an obstacle. And so really from the get-go, I think that, as I said, was this familiar way of working from my rangefinder film background. And it's just something I've always enjoyed and carried on doing since. Jamie Stoker returns next week to talk more about shooting personal projects and the gear that sees him through his pro portrait work. If you like to hear stories about photographers and you haven't dipped your toe in the waters of my other podcast yet, then Photography Daily has a real treat coming up this week. Uh, today, Michelle Del Sol talks about making portraits. He learned from the best, you know, Arnold Newman. Every day was a lifetime of amazement, of learning. Uh, I'd never been in a photography studio and I saw him do marvels. Paul Walters on Tuesday, tomorrow, talks about becoming a photojournalist in 2020 and beyond. You've got to be quite self-sufficient. You've got to be quite forward-thinking. Joanne MacArthur talks about her book, Hidden, which is all about how we treat animals. It's a pretty graphic book and one we'll probably talk about on the Fujicast too, I'm sure. Yes, I think shame is an appropriate response to this book and I do want people to feel that. And Cam Neville returns to talk about photographing the big fires of 2019 in Australia. And he has a, an ecological story. People just couldn't understand why the rain, why is the rainforest burning? You know, no one could get their head around it. So, Photography Daily, stories of life told by photographers. Available on all main podcast apps. Right, back to your questions. Kev, you go first. This is a question from Thomas Clark. I have a number of Fujifilm cameras, including an XF10. Since I primarily shoot street, I have set the camera up for manual focus along with back button focus in case I encounter a scene which is out of the zone. My question is, given these settings, is there any way to assign exposure compensation to any button or dial? Mm. I haven't been able to discover an approach. Ooh, XF10. Mm. I know nothing about the XF10, I'm afraid. This is this is batted back to you firmly, Kev. I had one for a, a You did, didn't you? borrowed one for a while. Yeah. I didn't... I'm thinking there are very, very, very few dials on there. Um, no is the answer. As far as I can tell, as far as I can remember, there's not enough dials, command dials for it to happen. Probably not with that button signed for back button focusing. Probably not is the answer, Thomas. But without having one and seeing one, yeah. I can't guarantee it. Yeah. Um, if you are in the Facebook group, Thomas, oh, tell ask you the yes. question because... Carl Harrell turn up. Carl the Brain. Yeah. Carl the Brain will be there in an instant. Um, Lars Hegard or Hegard the Dane, who's become a bit of a character actually on my other podcast, Photography Daily, has sent something in. He said, um, Thanks for the chant. I'm an occasional Stoke fan, so I recognise an excellent chant when I hear it. Was I away that week when, when we were talking about Stoke? 
<laughs> I don't recall talking about Stoke City. Did we talk about Stoke City? Were we talking about? Well, I remember us talking about Newcastle in the football mm. in the um, that book about the football from Magnum. Um, mm. Yeah, I think it does ring a bell. Mm. We did talk about it. my mate from my because my friend's from Stoke. Um, Wayno, Wayno's from Stoke. Is he? Yeah. Well, Stoke via Adelaide, right. but Stoke. Um, yeah, we did talk about it, but I can't remember the context oh, yeah. now. Anyway, with a few months to go to Christmas, I bought you your Christmas presents. But due to the flaming COVID-19, I'm not going to send them. <laughs> Thank you. Look forward to <laughs> no, that. No, no, sorry. I'm not going to send them till next week. Sorry. Read properly. I hope it arrives in time with a joint effort from Post Nord and the Royal Mail. Merry Christmas. Keep your spirits high, boys. From Denmark. I can't imagine there's too many Larses in Denmark who are Stoke fans. No. It seems a bit <laughs> unlikely, doesn't it? <laughs> Should I do yeah. a proper question? Yeah. Uh, one from John Bald here. Hello, Kev. Hello, Neil. I've discovered the Fujicast podcast in the spring of this year. I went look, looking for something fresh and different to listen to and found you. I'm not sure that's a good thing or not. Um, great to find a couple of guys talking about photography. Your podcast is called Fujicast, but it's not really about photography, not brand worship. So thanks for a solid, good podcast. Back in 2012, I switched from Canon full frame to Olympus Micro Four Thirds and loved it. The EM5 was, is fast focusing and the lenses are excellent quality and more affordable than full frame. But every time I'm cleaning up the subtle but present noise of my images, I wonder if it'd be better to go on to a bigger sensor. My question is, with your APS-C size sensors, are you are you content with the noise level of the cameras? And do you, a sort of side note here, ever feel tempted to go back to full frame? Love the show from John in Brunswick in Maine. Um, Noise-wise, noise wise. Well, there's definitely a difference between the two for me. And, and sometimes, yeah, I'm going to be honest here, and I've looked at it and thought, oh, I might have just eked out a bit more there with my cannons. There we go. Sorry, said it. But not enough to think, I need to go back to them because for all the other shots, no. Okay, well, what I would counter that with is that in almost all cases, perhaps not so much now with the new mirrorless Canon systems, but the DSLR stuff, in almost all cases, you can shoot at a better exposure with a lighter mirrorless system. Right. Especially the Olympus, Micro Four Thirds and stuff like that. So whereas with the bigger cameras, you're shooting at slower shutter speeds, perhaps, which is going to lead to higher ISOs, which will lead to more grain noise. Um, on your mirrorless systems, you should really be able to shoot at faster shutter speeds, lower ISO naturally. So that's that's where the countering comes right, into it from right. my point of view. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, undoubtedly, the, the, just science tells you, technology and science tells you that the, the full-frame sensor should exhibit less noise at higher ISOs. But whether it's enough for that to be an issue and also whether the fact that because they're heavier means that you're going to be shooting at those expanded exposures anyway is going to make any difference um that's my take on it but mm. i haven't shot anything other than future film since 2011 so I'm, I'm, i kind of can't really complain uh, um make note of it but i remember um damien mcgillicuddy was an olympus he, yes, ambassador he yes he was perhaps still is don't know mm. um and his he, he shoot high-end fashion with his olympus cameras you know mm. no would not look one of his pictures and think well that's grainy Mm. But well, yeah. Jamie Stoker actually, you've heard him Correct. today. Um, yeah. He uh, he swapped out all his Canon gear, as he heard, and and went for um, went for. In fact, was it the X Pro One he mentioned? Or I'm sure it was the X Pro One. Sorry, short memory. And we just heard him a moment ago, and uh, suddenly he was thrown into a massive uh, Nike gig. Worked for him. Yeah. As you heard. Well, and also the thing is, you know, this is, I, I kind of, I, I don't mind answering these kinds of questions, but my answer is generally comes to the same thing. 
it's fine margins and it's what works for you ultimately if you have to have like crystal crystal clear noiseless images at relatively higher iso and that's imperative for your work and you want to go mirrorless then you're going to be looking at medium format gfx type stuff or you can just stay with your canons you know makes no difference ultimately it for me the reason why i use the mirrorless system the fujifilm system is because i enjoy using them it was form wasn't it i love the it the whole thing was based around using form them. the I moment love- the x100 yeah. as you heard a couple of weeks ago um it was all about form i took some pictures of albie um a football game the other week uh, it was a real murky day up on the cotswold hillside uh, raining the backdrop was the, the old cotswold houses that have been there for 300 yeah, years yeah, yeah. Uh, and i stuck it on my padilla jpeg set in so it was really black and white grainy yeah. i loved it on my yeah. x100 you know just popping off the odd image here and there I would never, ever, ever have considered doing that with my old Canon system. A, I couldn't because the, it would just be a raw image and mm. I'd still have to process it and whatever. Um, but looking at the images in the camera, in the viewfinder, and getting exactly what I want, that's that's what it's mm. all about for me. Um, you know. But your mileage may vary, whatever it is. I've got to tell you, Kev really s- sends me messages on Saturday mornings when he's at uh, Alb's football football matches. Now, it was all right, actually, when Al- Albie was playing... When it, when it was sort of still late summer and it was warm, sort of balmy. Sort of not, not necessarily balmy because that's the evening, but it was a warm day. Now, now I get this, oh, it's raining, I've, it's cold, I've got gout and I'm watching Albie. <laughs> Look at this picture though, right? I love it. Yeah, but this is out your phone. This won't have the Padilla setting. This and, is, no, you, this is from my... Did you transfer it? Yeah, this is from my X100. Okay, let's have a look. Yeah, look at that. See, Kev, this is bookworthy now. Great, isn't it? I yeah, love that. Love it. Here's Albie about to run away from a header. <laughs> Bless him. Yeah, our Jack, he doesn't play football anymore. He's um, into different sports now. He, uh, when when they did heading practice, he ran. <laughs> he never headed it. I, I didn't think they were supposed to do heading practice. Um, that was one of the things they were supposed to stop doing. I don't think they do now. Mm. I don't know when Jack was playing, maybe a few years ago. Last year, I think. Anyway, right, book time. What have we got? Right, so this week we have uh, Nick Danzinger, uh, the British which is, uh, again, uh, easily available. It's on Amazon, hardcover price, £10.50, if you're so interested. And For the hardcover, £10.50? Yes. Blimey, um, that's good. Yeah, it's a really good book. I don't know. Um, I'm looking to see if mine's a first edition or not. But anyway, regardless... Uh, Nick was a uh, uh, probably more famous for a book he did called Danzinger's Travels. He's a photojournalist. Um, now, what I like about this particular book is that it's an observation of British class mm. and class society. Mm. So when you're looking at the front of it, you kind of flick through the first half of the book. It's a big old book. Um, it's all about the upper class and the upper right. society. So, for example, I've just flicked to page... Um, does it go through the classes mm, sequentially then not it? necessarily no, okay. but right. he's obviously a, photo, a news photojournalist mm. at the time so this is um, Tony Blair coming out of uh, not number 10 but somewhere else a restaurant or something yeah. Sherry Blair in the background and then you flick through and you've got judges it's all black and white all lovely film work yeah. you've got some um, higher high embassy stuff going on here so uh, a Sikh um, reception party at one of the uh, embassies by the looks of it right. Um, this is, uh, I would say, one of the Oxford University's big kind of functional dinner. And then you get to a certain point in the book, mm-hmm. in the centre, where everything turns upside down. Upside down. I've just noticed that. Yeah. So everything turns upside down. And if you look at the front and the back of the book, they're opposite oh. ways. So the back of the book is the um, the other end of society. And oh. So here you have much more 
struggling type images so this is a picture of a um beetle beetle car the car beetle mm. with um some underpants strung across between two houses in a in a street <laughs> um you know guys drinking beer on a street corner girls doing their makeup in a street corner an interesting picture here of the back of somebody's head um you know unshaven woolly jumper on watching uh, presumably black and white tv with uh, margaret thatcher on the cover um so the, the sections are broken down so this is in halifax for example mm-hmm. so there is some there's some information to give context to the um to the books uh, sorry to the images but ultimately it's about the power of the the people and the power of the class society uh and it's really good and, and and nick's been around for a long time of course and mm. you know very very um successful book uh, or uh, photojournalist i should say interesting you mentioned the drinking thing because that's often used as a as a as a way to talk about class or also show some distinction between class but you know why is it when you get a couple of blokes drinking beer on a street it's considered thuggish well, when you get the sort of posh people with their champagne glasses walking through the streets of Oxford, it's perfectly OK. Oh, no, I know. I, I, I'm with you entirely. I mean, the things I've seen at... I used to live in Bracknell, in Harmon's Water in Bracknell, Bracknell which backed onto Ascot Racecourse. Yeah. And, That's a bit posh. Uh, well, Harmon's Water's not, but Ascot is. And we would share the same train station, mm. OK? So uh, Harmon's Water, Ascot train station. And uh, during the ascot races mm. oh, this is when i was working in london so i'd get off my little train you know in my mm. ill-fitting mns <laughs> suit and uh and then you'd see the things you'd see at um there's a there's a bar at at the um ascot train station yeah. called the jazz it's called the jazz club i right, think it's called right. jazz at ascot right uh, and i used to occasionally go in there it's a nice little pub the things you'd see, honestly. Um, and yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And that's that's the kind of thing Martin Parr loves, isn't it? He yeah. loves. And he does it with such a pomp. There's no yeah. kind of separation. He's not cruel. No, no, it. absolutely he's not cruel. But no. there's no separation either. There's no uh, there's no real kind of um, judgment. Mm. It's just like, this is it. I've never been very good at those uh, very hoorah events. You you go to quite a few though because you do the races and stuff, don't you? You're very good uh, at stuff like that. Yeah, we. Kev, I, working class Kev. I go to the chat with all the hoorays. He loves it. Yeah, but I go, I go to the best mate stand, which is the ten quid tickets where you stand up. That's oh. why it's called the best mate stand. Oh, is it? It's oh, where right. all of the. Um, I'll I'll take that back then. It's where all the Irish travellers go to. Right. The, that that end. Right. So it's very very much spitting sawdust is it probably the nut- great though i love it most fun bit yeah absolutely i'm never i'm not at all interested in horses i went to henley, fact, i think it's a bit I, cruel i went to henley regatta once i was never invited back <laughs> <laughs> apparently i misbehaved too much oh dear well i mean all that free champagne and watching people sort of i in the end i didn't well, know where you go that's you know, what i'm on about ascot yeah. station you see yeah i was i was yeah I, I, yeah, I wasn't invited back. It was my own company. I was a director for them, but they didn't invite me back next year. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so the book again, uh, the, the British, the British, the yeah, British. Nick Danzinger, and uh, yeah, good, good book, good, yeah. big, kind of solid, hardcore yeah. photo book, proper, yeah. proper, all black and white as well, all black and white. Good work. Right, questions. Uh, I think we've got time for one more, maybe a couple more. Neil Parry, hi all. I recall hearing on two occasions recently that software has been released by Fuji that allows you to apply Fuji filters to raw images. Did I dream that? If you know of it, could you share a link? I was then able to find it on the Fujifilm site. Hmm. Well, that's XRAW Studio. We just talked yeah, about that. We talked about that, didn't we? There's loads of that stuff on my website, f16.click. Yeah. Uh, and that was just it's an just been updated yeah, today, in fact. An opportunity yeah. to get to get you to the F16 site, really, wasn't Correct. it? Correct, yes. 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 There we go. 
Reel him in. Go on, yeah. Kev. You go. Uh, quick one from Jeremy Baker. Portrait tips, please. Mm. There you go. Was that it? Yeah. All oh, right. Basically, what do you do when they're wearing spectacles? Oh, ask them to take them off. <laughs> be a be a bit of a use of cash. Take uh, them off if they don't. If they refuse, march over, whip them off. Yeah, I wouldn't have a clue. I don't really know. Um, it's very difficult one glasses because you can't always do that. Um, the higher the higher you get with the um, obviously you want to get your lighting out of the way. You don't want it to be on the same plane. Lift it really high. Act as the sun, and that does give you a fighting chance. Best, but if you want to learn, if you really want to get into the the, the portrait business mm. um glenn dewis is the man mm. glenn oh, yeah. dewis has got some amazing amazing tutorials mm. really nice guy despite his name not welsh um but his stuff is great he's got a really good youtube channel mm. glenn dewis g-l-y-n-d-e-w-i-s uh, we will link to it some of his stuff of course on the podcast another nice page. way to way to shoot portraits with lighting is 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 don't think that your key light and your um and, and your fill light always have to be at the subject not at all far from it because sometimes I mean, if you if you're using something like um or a beauty dish for example uh, use that um as a key for the subject but instead of um, trying to fill from one side, just going direct onto the subject, bang it back into the room. If you've got white, a white room, it's no good sort of throwing it back into a, a dark and black room or something. But if you've got a nice white ceiling, fire it behind you into the ceiling and that creates this beautiful, big, soft light for the entire room. And then you can just dab them with the, um, uh, with the beauty dish or something. That can be another way. And, and that'll help you with the glasses as well, I think. I huh. think it'll help you with the glasses. There you go. Correct me if I'm wrong. But, I don't know. Uh, oh, I suppose you could also use a modelling lamp. Yep. With the glasses, use a modelling lamp to see well, where yeah. the reflections are, and then adjust accordingly. Yeah. Yep. You know. Okay. But but yes, uh, basically I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I rescued you a bit. Yeah. You normally rescue me on the tech. <laughs> uh, here we go, Luke Warwick. Um, a while back, this, I think this will be the the last one. A while back, Kevin Neil, you were discussing monitors, and there was somebody on the show talking about calibration. This guest was recommending a particular BenQ model for the middle of the road usage. Um, anyone recall which one or recommend any others I've started doing video now alongside my photo work could do with an upgrade thank you in advance from Luke yeah BenQ we both use BenQ we do now there are two different models there's a PT yes and the SW mm. PT I think is the one aimed more at video guys mm-hmm. alright but the PT was the one that I ended up using as my reserve monitor so yeah. I've got two of them yeah um, Do you notice a discernible difference between the two? Not necessarily, but it was enough to worry me that I was mm. getting using the wrong colour scopes and things mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah, I think the middle of the road one is the 270C, SW27C. Oh, this is the one I've got here. Yeah, that, so that's yeah. the one that I've got also. Yeah, I've got a 32-inch version as well. And you forgot you, you had the puck to use the with puck. it. The puck. Yeah, which is this thing here. Yeah, you press oh, that. Oh, no, I've just pressed it. It's gone off. <laughs> but what I do use the what puck... What have I done, Kev? It's gone black. Has it gone black and white? No, it's just gone black. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was back on. Yeah, well done. There, there you go. go. Switch it on and off again. Thump it. It works. But the puck, if you're like, I love the puck because you can just press one button and the entire screen goes black and white. Love that. Well, I and pressed it and it just went black. <laughs> it just went off. <laughs> yeah. I think your puck isn't plugged in properly. All right. Um, <laughs> that seems to be the problem, Vicar. But yeah, I, I mean, the, 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 sorry, the thank you stuff is great, I yeah. think. And 
you know you can spend a lot more money on isos and stuff like that and yeah. yes probably they're a that's the reason i went better, but with benq because it was uh for me it was a more affordable option yeah with quality yeah oh, they're great they're really could great. i tell a lot of difference between this and the iso i didn't think i could when i saw the two up side by side no at a at a at, a, at, a, at a, an event do you remember those things called events yes the photography show yeah we used to go and sort of stand with other people more money i lost go and have a beer and and you know yeah that sort of stuff hide from people <laughs> hide from people what do you mean Kev did you used to hide from people always always well you, that'll be back because you were supposed to do um, some talking as well weren't you at one yes so next yeah. year Kev next year next year Rodney we'll be millionaires next year yes it's right. just epidemic that's <laughs> <laughs> it is epidemic. It is epidemic. Yeah. Thank you uh, very much uh, this week for being with us. Jamie Stoker was uh, was our guest, and thank you to Jamie. Thank you for your questions. Uh, thank you for your questions, rather, that you've sent into the show. If you'd like to send some in, then please do. They are. I haven't said this for ages. Guess what? The lifeblood of the show. They are. They are yes. the lifeblood of the show. And as Kev would say, it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> it just isn't relevant at all. Um, so send them into click at fujicast.co.uk or indeed you can send them through the, uh, the, the Facebook group, the private Facebook group uh, that we have. Thank you to those that have been supporting the show by Patreon. If you can do it, fantastic. For those who feel it's appropriate, of course, not just for us, but if you pocket too. But the donations, um, despite all the joshing that we do, they do help the show stay here as yes. an ongoing project because they, they there are there are costs involved. Honestly, there is. Music from Blue Wednesday, supporting music from the incredibleartlist.io. And if you'd like to see our offerings, and, and please go and see the show page today before Kev gets really grumpy and takes it down altogether. Are we still using the Patreon for our relate fees? <laughs> <laughs> I've got somebody's just calling me, maybe Fujicast. So look, look at that. Fujicast is calling me on my mobile. Look at that. It does say Fujicast. Yeah. I, I just had a number as well. That's funny. I better go. People are calling us. Bye-bye. We'll, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. The Fujicast is an independent Loading Zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.